The uh, presidential inauguration, how many of you like to watch that when it comes around? Anybody interested in that? Minimal interest. I'll tell you, there are people that are interested in it. Um, it's, a, it's a big deal, it's when power is transferred from uh, one presidential, uh, one president uh, to the next, and uh, a lot happens, they're, they're the ceremony in front of the Capitol building, um, and uh, I guess facing the National Mall, there's the inaugural ball, there's the parade to the White House, uh, all kinds of celebrations that uh, mark the transfer of power. We, people, you know, this year it was uh, flags there that watched the ceremony, but normally people were there watching this ceremony, watching it on TV, streaming it later. Um, and it's a, it's a big deal when power transfers from, from one person to another. And in, in Jesus' day, it was really uh, very similar. There was, when there was a transfer of power, it was a big deal. And in all four of the Gospels, we have the account of Jesus coming into Jerusalem and people celebrating his arrival. And uh, we call it Holy Week or Passion Week, this, this period of time between today, Palm Sunday, and uh, next week, Easter Sunday, when we celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus. So the week kind of kicks off with an inauguration of sorts. And uh, we're going to read about it here in Matthew chapter 21. If you got your Bibles with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, let me read the first uh, 11 verses. Uh, it says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, this is Jesus and his disciples, and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them on, and put on them their cloaks, and Jesus sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Why we call it Palm Sunday, they cut the palm branches. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Heavenly Fathers, we look into your word this morning. Would you uh, show us what you have for us? Would you uh, help us to understand uh, the meaning of your arrival in Jerusalem, the week of your crucifixion, and, uh, and then your resurrection from the dead? Lord, help us to understand uh, what you were doing, what your plan was, and how uh, we can apply some of these things to our life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in, in ancient times, the Romans, the Greeks, the Macedonians, the Spartans, they all had these triumphal entries into the city. Now, they would typically come after a battle or after a victory in war, and they would come riding horses and chariots. They would have uh, the spoils from the war. They might have prisoners that they were parading. But Jesus came into the city on a donkey, 
what, the question is, why is, where's the excitement come from? Like, there are probably people riding donkeys all over the place. Like, what was the, what was the significance of Jesus coming in uh, on a donkey? You know, Jerusalem at this time was a busy, busy place. It was uh, the week before the Passover celebration. The Passover celebration would run for a whole week, and this was the, the week leading up to it. So um, all adult males were required to uh, make a pilgrim to pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year and for three different festivals, and the Passover was one of them. So there were people coming from everywhere into the city, and they would have been... Um, coming around the same time as Jesus because they were coming to celebrate the Passover. And one of the things that was required is that the Passover lamb was to be selected at the beginning of the week. So as people were coming into the the city, as people were bringing lambs into the city to be inspected, to be checked, uh, to be prepared for the Passover, here comes Jesus. John identified him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this Lamb of God entering into the city the same time as these other Passover lambs. Of course, the Passover was celebration of Jesus liberating the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. So this was a, this was a, a, a big deal. There was a lot uh, going on in the city. And as Jesus came, he rode a donkey. And this seems strange, but they were excited about this. They were celebrating. And it's because For the Jewish people, the king would ride a horse if he was going to war. But during times of peace, a king would ride a donkey. And we even see in the Old Testament, uh, we'll look at it just for a second in 1 Kings chapter 32, when David was getting ready to transfer, King David, getting ready to transfer power to his son, who would become King Solomon, he told him, get a donkey, parade Solomon through the city, and anoint him with oil, and that's what they did. We'll look at it in 1 Kings chapter one. King David said, call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king said to them, take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my mule and bring him down to Gihon. And, Z- and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon. You shall then come up after him and he shall come and sit on my throne for he shall be king in my place. I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. So this was the, this was the process of, of selecting a king. Have him come in on a donkey, we'll anoint his head with oil. And a few verses later in verse 40, this was, this was the reaction of the people. All the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy so that the earth was split by their noise. So Israel's two great, greatest kings, King David and King Solomon, both of them rode on a donkey. And the celebration as, as Solomon rode into the city on a donkey, was anointed as king, was so loud it says the earth was split by their noise. This was a big deal to have uh, the king ride in on a donkey. And so um, times got tough for Israel after King David and after King Solomon. The, the nation was divided. There was uh, essentially civil war between the north uh, Israel and the South Judah. Uh, they fought battles against Aram, 
Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, constant inner turmoil. Uh, They were worshiping other gods, so God was not always in their favor. And it was a dark time, and it kind of culminated when the Babylonians came in, destroyed the city, and took most of the population captive, and they were in exile for 70 years. So during that time of, of exile, or at the end of that time of exile, a remnant went back to the city of Jerusalem. They started to rebuild the temple. And as they were starting to rebuild the walls of the city, Zechariah the prophet prophesied these words. And Matthew had quoted them. We read them already. But this is what Zechariah wrote. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Zechariah is prophesying that a king will come again. This is what he says. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this is what God says he'll do. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So Here's the fulfillment of that prophecy. Jesus is riding in on a donkey and the people are thinking, okay, this is it. Zechariah said it would happen. Uh, There's going to be peace and and Jesus will rule from sea to sea. We will finally have relief from the oppression of the Romans. And so indeed, Jesus had a, a grand entry into Jerusalem. People were excited. They had heard him teach. They had watched him heal Uh, They had observed his ministry. They saw that he cared. They watched him cast out demons and people were talking about this man. They called him a prophet. Some thought he was John the Baptist. Some thought he was Jeremiah. Some thought he was Elijah, but they knew he was a prophet. And as as, as he came into the city, they were hailing him as king. They were waving the branches, taking their jackets off and laying it on the ground for the donkey to walk over. They were literally putting out the red carpet for him. And they were excited. Their Messiah had arrived. He was the one that was going to give them relief finally. So it's interesting, there's really no mention of of how the Romans reacted to this. You know, they were the ruling power. Like, how did they feel like this, this new king was coming in? And maybe they thought, I don't know what these guys are getting excited about. Some guy just rode a donkey into the city. Like, there's nothing to see here. We don't, we don't really know. The Bible doesn't really tell us what the Romans were thinking. Maybe um, they were just like, okay, you know, they, they, to a degree, allowed the Jewish people to follow their laws and, and carry out their traditions. And so there wasn't really, um, it doesn't seem like there was much attention paid by the Romans. But now the chief priests and the Pharisees, they took notice of Jesus coming in. They had a completely different response because they hated Jesus. Jesus had called them out in their hypocrisy. He had, um, he had challenged them about their pride. He, he uh, accused them of neglecting the poor and the widows. And this was in Jerusalem, the, the religious center uh, of the day. This is, where, this, is the, this, is the, this is the heart of Judaism right here. And these chief priests, these Pharisees, they were the rulers. Like they, they had all the power in the religion. And here's Jesus calling them out in their shortcomings, calling them out in their sins. And they, they had watched the people love Jesus and turn their backs from him. And in fact, this, this is exactly what happened on that day. 
People left the city where the temple was, where the Pharisees were, where the chief priests were, at the beginning of this religious festival, maybe the most important religious festival of the year, and, and they're watching people leaving, leaving the temple, leaving uh, their teaching to go follow after this man that was coming in. And I think this observation is, is something we need to take note of for today. We need to offer people a relationship with Jesus, not a religion. We, we can't miss that. Unchurched people don't care what our traditions are. I mean, really, do they care? If they cared, they'd be here, right? They don't want a list of rules and expectations handed to them when they walk in the door. They don't need our condemnation. They don't need our judgment. They don't need to be told all the things that they're doing wrong. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The people of Jerusalem, they had all the laws, all the rituals, but they also had the judgment and condemnation of their leaders. And they were fed up with it, and they celebrated this person, Jesus. And they celebrated Jesus because he wasn't offering rules and condemnation. He offered to serve the people in love. Jesus was relational. Jesus had compassion on people. Jesus offered hope. That's why the people in Jerusalem rushed out to greet him and to welcome him. And isn't that why you welcomed him into your life? That's why I welcomed him into my life. That's what we must offer to those who don't know him today. Theodore Roosevelt was the one, I believe, that said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that should be true of the church. We need to offer people a relationship with God, not a religion and a list of rules. So Jesus arrived in, in Jerusalem and it, it, he went straight to the temple. And I think this is important. Let's, let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Be a good name for a church, wouldn't it? <laughs> but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna just means uh, save now, save us, the son of David. It was also just a, 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 an expression of praise. But the, the leaders were indignant. They said to him, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. This isn't the first time that Jesus came into the temple and found people uh, exchanging money and, and selling for profit and was, was angry about it. This is actually the second time. The first time happened towards the beginning of, his, of Jesus' ministry, probably uh, two Passover celebrations earlier, so two years prior. And I want to look at that for a second because it's, it's, it's almost, uh, almost, the same, almost the same situation. In John chapter 2, 
the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it says, uh, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He didn't drive the people out with a whip, but he would have driven the the animals out with the whip, and he spoke to the people. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables, and he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. So, like, what's, what's going on here? We don't have, like, tables set up. We don't have any animals here this morning. We don't have a... Uh, currency exchange happening. Well, adult Jewish males were required to pay a, ta- a temple tax once per year. And uh, it, was a, it was a half shekel, which is probably about two days wages. And so during the Passover and, and during the other feast was a good time for an adult male, especially if they didn't live in Jerusalem, to pay the temple tax because they wouldn't have to make a separate trip later. Uh, But not just any kind of currency was accepted. You had to have the right kind of currency. And so uh, what they did was they'd set up tables and they'd have a currency exchange. It makes sense. Somebody comes with money, but it's not the money that they're allowed to give. So they would trade for money to get the the right currency to, to pay their temple tax. Well, the problem with this was they were charging uh, just exuberant exchange rates. Like they were making a killing off of these travelers that had to, had to make the exchange. Uh, they weren't going to be back in the city maybe for another year. And so they were, they were making profit off of, of these people who were attempting just to serve the Lord and to be obedient with the tax. And the other thing that was happening was travelers might not have brought livestock with them to, to, to make their sacrifice. And so it would make sense that, well, okay, that's fine. If you don't, if you don't have an animal, we have some here for sale problem was they were charging stadium prices for these uh, uh, animals instead of grocery store prices. And they were, they were just ripping people off and doing this in the name of the Lord. You'd like to worship here with us this morning? Oh, so glad. It's going to cost you an arm and a leg though. Uh, and and this, was, this, was, this made Jesus angry, this, this, these dishonest game in the name of God. And so, just think about that. We're talking about two different accounts. So Jesus did this early in his ministry, and then two years later, this week where, he, where he's celebrated by the people he comes in, he has to do it all over again. And how many of you have ever been at a meal? Don't raise your hand, okay? Just think about this. How many of you have ever been at a meal where someone was so angry, they got up and flipped the table? Jesus wasn't pleased with these people. Jesus has a passion for purity within a church. And I think it's on display here. If, you know, if if he didn't come to him and say, hey guys, uh, see what's going on here, and is that really the go and exchange rate today? You know, up, you know, uh, in Bethany, you know, you can get a sheep for, you know, for 20 bucks and you're you're charging 75. Like, I don't think, he was, he didn't give them a chance. He was, he was not pleased with him. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer and you're making it a den of robbers. The church should be a place where people can come to find Jesus 
a place where they can come to pray, a place where they can come to find hope, to find healing, not to be ripped off. So Jesus wasn't pleased with, with, with the way that the religious leaders were making it difficult for people to come into a relationship with him. Jesus has a passion for purity in his church. And I think we also see here that we need to watch out for sin creeping into our lives. Have you ever, have you noticed that husbands and wives rarely agree on the definition of clean? You know, what defines order and what defines disorder? What is messy and what is organized? What is clutter and what is acceptable decoration? Right? Is this, anybody relate to that? So what I've noticed is what is clean for me is not always clean for Sarah. And when I say clean, I don't mean like there's, there's like grace left on the kitchen counter. I'm talking about where my shoes are and what the condition of my workshop looks like. And, and, and so like, so I try to be clean. I know how Sarah is. Um, and I don't really consider myself a messy person. And I think I do good in some areas and then other areas, not so good. And uh, I know Sarah's going to be up here next week, so I have to tell the truth here. Um, But over time, would you say, beautiful wife, (laughs) that I I kind of accumulate and I I tend to acquire clutter. And I, you know, I'll go through and I'll clean up and I'll get my shoes put away and I'll get everything organized and I'll get my study books off the dining room table and then it just kind of grows back, right? Sometimes I, I do good for a while and then it, it slowly comes back in. And I, I believe there's a definition, I think it's called the second law of thermodynamics on, on, uh, on display. And that is, it's just the natural tendency of an isolated system to degenerate into a more disordered state. So I, I'm, I'm teaching you, Sarah. The second law of thermodynamics. Okay, but Sarah, on the other hand, she likes to clean. Like, she, she has a hard time sitting down at the end of the night on the couch unless the floor has been swept at least once during the day. You know, use it and put it away. The dish doesn't go back onto the counter, it goes into the dishwasher. Little things like that. And I am, I am thankful for Sarah, because she does bring order uh, in, brings order out of the chaos, right? Even if that means that I that my coffee cup ends up in the dishwasher before I'm done drinking it. <laughs> All right, so what does it have to do with these money changers? Well, I don't think when Jesus came into the temple at the beginning of his ministry, overturned the tables, he made it the cord of uh, the whip and drove out the animals, I don't think an hour later they were back. Now, it was the Passover, so people still needed to exchange money. They still needed animals to sacrifice. My guess is they set up a couple blocks away, right? And they started to do a fair exchange, and they started to charge a reasonable amount for the animals. But at some point, we know at least two years later, Jesus is back in the temple, and there they are again, in the temple, exchanging money 
for, uh, and, and selling animals and taking advantage of people. It probably took a little while. Maybe they edged closer and closer and the prices stayed reasonable for a while and then they started to edge up and up. And before long, they were just right back into dishonest gain. Using the name of the Lord for personal gain and advantage. Taking advantage of people that were trying to find God. And if we're not careful, we do the same thing with sin, right? Lord, forgive me. I lost my temper today. Right? And then maybe I can do good for a few days and I get a little frustrated. I say, no big deal, just a little frustration. It's, it's fine. Or instead of confessing it and taking it to the Lord. And, and, and sin that we deal with one day, a few months later, we realize, man, we're just right back at it again. I'm not even thinking twice about it. And before we know it, we, just, we let so many things slide and we're, we're, we're caught in the middle of a sin again. So we need to deal with sin, not the way I deal with clutter in the house, but the way that Sarah does. We recognize it, we confess it, and we move on. When it starts to come back, we don't say, oh, it's no big deal, it's just a little thing. We recognize it, we confess it, and we turn back to the Lord. We've got to watch for sin creeping into our lives. We need to offer people a relationship, not a religion. We have to recognize that Jesus has a passion for purity in his church, and we watch for sin creeping into our lives. We confess the sin and we turn from it, because Jesus will come in and overturn tables if he needs to. Today's Palm Sunday, next Sunday when we gather, we'll be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, celebrating the fact that he came for this sin that we're talking about. He came for you, he came for me, he lived a perfect life. Uh, he gave his life as a sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. And as we, as we think about Easter next week and as we prepare to celebrate his resurrection, celebrate that he conquered the grave, that he conquered death, that he paid for the sins of the world, let, let's, let's do two things together this week. Let's spend some time, commit some time this week to some spring cleaning. Check our closet, see if there's anything hiding in there. And I don't mean around the house, I mean in our soul. You know, what are the things that we've just kind of been letting slide? No big deal, I'll deal with that later. It's not, I've come so far uh, from where I was. That's, that's just a little thing. Let's not, let's not fool ourselves into thinking that sin in our life is okay. We need to deal with it and deal with it quickly. Ask the Lord to show you areas of sin and confess those to the Lord this week in preparation for our Easter celebration next week. But the other thing we can do is we can tell someone about our relationship with Jesus. They don't need to know the order of service. They don't need to know uh, the, the traditions we have during Christmas season. They don't need to know what we do on the 4th of July. We have our traditions as a church and those are great things, but people need to know about Jesus and that they can have a relationship with him. We've got these inserts in the bulletin. We've got some extra ones on the table when you leave and if you want to, if you need more than one. You can invite somebody, tell them about your relationship with Jesus. Invite them to come next week. Christmas and Easter. Those are the two easiest Sundays to get someone to church. All right, people are thinking about it, whether they're telling you or not, they are thinking about it. Invite them to come with you, that they could hear the good news 
that Jesus died for each and every one of us and he rose from the grave, conquering sin. So those are the things I'm challenging us, all of us to do this week. Think about who we can invite, think about who we can tell about our relationship, but first, let's deal with what we need to deal with in our personal lives. I'm gonna have a word of prayer and then we're gonna have communion together. Heavenly Father, you're so good to us. We see how you, you handled those who were defaming your name, those who were uh, looking for personal gain in, in the name of Jesus. Lord, they were looking to advance themselves by taking advantage of people who were looking for you. Lord, I pray that we would never operate with that kind of mindset. Lord, that we would have the same mindset as Jesus, who humbly came to love and to serve, who considered uh, his position with God is not something that he would hold on to, but he humbled himself and he came. Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves and we would, uh, we would have a desire to let people know about our relationship with you, how you've made a difference in our lives, how you've given us uh, hope for the future. Lord, I pray that that would be what we want to share with someone uh, when we think about you and what you've done for us. Lord, uh, we're, we're all guilty of sin. That's why we needed you as a savior. Uh, and that's why we continue to need your forgiveness, Lord. And you offer that. You say, if, if we confess our sins, that you'll be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, I pray uh, that we would make a habit of confessing our sin to you. And Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness that's available through Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would uh, have a heart's desire to do those things this week. Lord, as we uh, come together to uh, celebrate your, uh, your sacrifice, Lord, uh, would you bring, us, bring to mind for us the things um, that, that uh, you want us to reflect on, the, the things that we need to confess even this morning before we leave, before we partake of communion, uh, but also just what you did for us on that cross. Lord, thank you for loving us so much to go to the cross. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.